Well, welcome Parallel Family to our December 17th service. Our kids ministry has been working extremely hard on their version of the Polar Express, yet due to certain limitations, we are unable to show that live. However, rest assured, we will be sending out a link shortly so that you're able to watch it and cheer on our kids. As we've been coming into the Christmas at Parallel season, we've been kind of centering around this idea of believe. You may have remembered from our Legacy Sunday, how we put out the cards with bells that said believe on it. And to be honest, I've been so thankful these last few months watching what God has been doing through the church. He's been bringing families back to church and we've been watching people turn their lives around and be baptized. Last week at our broadcast campus, we simply did songs of Christmas and 10 people raised their hands to receive Christ into their lives. And it's made me think more and more about the process of believing. I can remember being a kid and having the ability to believe in anything for as long as it took. So let me give you an example. I was a big, okay, I'm gonna be honest here. I was a big Free Willy fan growing up and Free Willy part two came out on VHS and it was kind of a special edition VHS because it came with the replica necklace that Jesse, the character wore in Free Willy two. And when I was younger, I had a pool in our backyard and I could see it clearly from my upstairs bedroom window. Now you wanna talk about big faith? As a kid, I believed with no shadow of a doubt that if I had the necklace, that a giant orca would break through the thin lining of my hose-filled eight-foot pool situated on a mountainside four and a half hours away from the ocean. But my mindset was, hey, it could happen. I think for many of us as believers, the miraculous gets more and more difficult, let down after let down, unmet expectation after unmet expectation. And so today I want to talk, how do we keep our belief for miracles in a healthy state? I want to talk on the topic of what it takes to believe. Let's start here. So for John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, not works for him, not gives to him, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believing is the pivotal point of what defines you and me as a person. The enemy wants nothing more than to attack what you and I believe. Judging by John 3.16, believing is actually our only gateway to God. There was a certain group in the first century AD called the Gnostics. And this is a group that developed the idea of, of Gnosticism, which essentially meant that the more that you know, then the closer you are to God. So the higher intellect that you have, the closer you are to God. Which, well, looking back on it, was a flawed and kind of an insane idea because it ruled out infants having the ability to have eternal life as their intellect hadn't developed yet. It also limited the mentally ill to be able to receive salvation now, intellectualism is important, and knowledge is important, and we should all know why we believe and what we believe. It's crucial, but intellectualism can't be the only way to God. It was a broken system. And God knew that he had to level the playing field for his creation to have a fighting chance at finding redemption. And that playing field that he made at entry level for everyone was our belief system. God knew that he had to create a system that allowed everybody to have a fighting chance at believing in his son. Now we are still in a battle between knowing and believing. The enemy comes against what you know and what you believe about God. 
So often we will blame our broken car or our broken furnace, saying, you know, the enemy is trying to break my car or the enemy is trying to break my furnace. Can I just be upfront with you that the enemy doesn't need your car, doesn't need your broken furnace. What the enemy does need, though, is for you to be frustrated, you worried. He's after your mind. Now, if we look back in Genesis, we can see that one of the original ways mankind missed the mark was through simply unbelief. Let's look in Genesis 3.1. Says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? You see, the enemy didn't physically move them out of the garden, but he did move them away from what they believed. And we have to go from unbelief to belief. And we all must become, especially in this season, like little children and have the childlike faith to dare to believe him. The gospel is designed to give you and I a new belief system to which we can build our mind around. Throughout the scriptures, God's faithfulness to his people, his commitment to his promises is evident throughout the pages. In James 2 verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Let's look at the life of Jesus. He did more miracles than he did messages. And it was the mechanism, miracles were like the mechanism that he used to get people to believe. And the purpose of the miracles was not the miracle in itself. The purpose of the miracle is to prompt you and I and others to believe. Throughout the book of John, John is writing and he recalls seven different miracles that Jesus did and everything from turning water into wine to healing the official son to healing at the pool of Bethesda, also feeding the 5,000 men, women, and children. But watch what John writes in John 16, verse 12. He says, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. John is essentially saying, I can't tell you everything that he did. I can't write down everything that Jesus did, but I gave you enough so that you will start to believe. Some of us lose hope in the middle of believing because we've been given the introduction to God's miracle where we see God moving a little bit and yet we have faith for that but then it starts to take too long and our faith winds down as a result and we stop believing. Do you remember back when Moses asked God, he said, who are you or who should I tell them that sent me? And God responds with, I am. Like was Moses really expecting God to answer everything that he is? in that moment. And I think if Moses is human like you and I, if God were to lay out everything that he was, wouldn't it be just like you and me to begin to label God, to categorize him, put him in a comprehensible box, and by doing so, limit the miraculous work he could do? Because I think if we can categorize him, then we don't really, we don't really have to trust him. I want us to take note of an intentional miracle that Jesus did where it would have seemed that he was very unintentional in John 11. We see the story of Lazarus being sick for quite some time and Mary and Martha are anxiously waiting for Jesus to arrive and heal their brother. So in John 11 it says this in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jesus 
knew that Lazarus was sick and yet waited, stayed where he was for another 48 hours. I think for anybody watching or listening right now, I just want to speak to you for a moment. If you've been praying, believing, and it's coming up to the 11th hour, can I just remind you that God is not anxious, troubled, or pressured by your timeline? He's not losing sleep over the fact that you're on the verge of losing something significant. He's calm. He's collected. In John 11, verse 17, says this, what's going on in the story, it says on his arrival, so Jesus comes back. It says, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So now at this point, Lazarus has died, and Jesus took two days to show up. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. And verse 21 says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had just come when we asked, if you had just given up everything and stopped what you were doing to rush to this emergency, my brother would not have died. Jesus frequently used Mary's and Martha's house as kind of like an Airbnb when he would visit. And we remember back in the story where he showed up and Martha was busy in the kitchen and Mary was spending time just sit sitting at Jesus's feet. We get to see what Martha's personality is like here because Martha is a busybody and she likes to get things done and get things moving and Mary was more of the peaceful type. Now we can see how Martha would be all riled up here. Like if you had just been here a little bit quicker, if you had just gotten, you know, made it important to be here, I think sometimes that our personality types and the way that we operate, we often put expectations on others. Side note, I want to speak to those listening right now that are blaming God for being too late. When God does show up, the agenda changes. We see all throughout Jesus's miracles. When Jesus showed up, things shifted. But the truth is, is that God is big enough to handle your disappointments. He's big enough to handle your anger, your frustrations because our feelings don't dictate the miracle. And it's so easy to allow our feelings and emotions to blind us from our belief. But let's be fair. It's easier to believe in something we can physically feel than to believe in something that we can't physically see. We go on in the story. It says John 11, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He says, where have you laid him? He asked. And they said, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then in verse 35, this is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. A lot of times in our waiting for our prayers to be answered, we can start to think that God is impersonal or that he doesn't understand what we're going through. And the beauty about this shortest scripture is that it shows the humanity of Jesus, of who he truly is at heart. It's difficult to believe that God loves what you love, hurts when you hurt, grieves when you grieve. Even if we knew Jesus was intentional about waiting until Lazarus was dead to show up, it doesn't erase the fact that he cares enough for his friend, Lazarus, and Mary and Martha, that he's willing to grieve and mourn with them. And you may feel that God is not saddened by your loss, but can you believe that he is? 
You may feel he doesn't care about your endless nights of prayer and crying you went through, but can you believe he was consoling you through it? I think for us to truly be able to believe in miracles, we need to be able to not let our feelings in dire moments dictate what we believe about God. Finally, it says in John 11, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> Around Easter time. And verse 39 says, Take away the stone, he said. Things were about to be resurrected, and it wasn't just Lazarus. And verse 41 says, So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is saying this out loud. Father, I thank you that you've heard. It's almost like Jesus is modeling what our response should be to God before a miracle happens. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I thank you that you always hear me. And then he says this, but for this, for the benefit of the people standing around and in the vicinity of what about to watch a miracle happen, they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43 says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Did you hear that? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want to ask you, all across our campuses, all across our parallel family, what would it take for you to believe that God was with you in this moment and in this season? What would it take for you to believe that God has your kids in his hands? What would it take for you to believe that God wants what's best for you? Also, what would it take for you to believe that God does not relate to you on the basis of the thing that you're most ashamed about? What would it take for you to believe? Because it doesn't get any simpler than this, folks. My faith is no greater than your faith. And we just have different experiences. I've had to believe in different circumstances than you have had to believe. I've had to believe in different situations than you've had to. And if believing is hard for you in this season, I just want to encourage you that believing is difficult with baggage. Shame stops us from believing. Guilt stops us from believing. Bitterness and resentment can also stop us from believing. And it's completely possible, listen, it's completely possible to believe in something and never feel like you can live up to it at the same time. And if God has felt distant in this season, you can learn just as much about the character of God through his absence as you can through his presence. God is not finished with you. He is still the miracle worker. He never changes, but every now and then our belief system needs some maintenance. And I want to challenge you today on December 17th or whenever you're watching this in this season, I want to challenge you to start believing again. But don't base your belief on the feelings in this moment. Base it on the consistent character in the past of God. Base it on the foundation of his word. So I have three more things for you. What does it take to believe? Number one, obviously, believing takes courage. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you 
wherever you go. Believing takes courage. It takes us knowing and being adamant in the fact that God has never left us nor forsaken us. Point number two, what does it take to believe? It takes trust. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And finally, number three, it takes forgiveness to believe. Mark eleven twenty five says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. It's difficult to believe with baggage. It takes courage to believe. It takes trust to believe. And for many of us, it takes forgiveness to believe again. St. Augustine said this, says, Faith is to believe what you do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Today's takeaway is this. God's integrity warrants our belief, and it's time to believe again. God's integrity warrants our belief, his character, his faithfulness, the way that he follows through with his promises. It is enough that it warrants our belief. And Parallel Church, it is time to believe for the miraculous again. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of our Parallel family and those watching. God, I pray that this would be a season where people's faith is reignited. Father, where they're believing for the impossible to happen. And we thank you, God, that if anybody can do the impossible, it's you. Father God, that you would start to show yourself so relevant, God, to those who have been praying all year, believing all year for the miracles that they seem out of reach. Father, I thank you that you're the only one that can do it. You are the miracle worker. And Father, we thank you for open hearts in this season, open eyes to see you for who you really are. And it's the God that does the impossible. Amen. Now, if you're new to this church thing and you don't know what this believing thing is about, I want to walk you through a step that invites Jesus into your life. We call it a salvation call in church, but we're, what it really is, I mean, it's that. But it's also a decision to start a relationship with Jesus so that you can start to understand the fullness that he wants for your life. And if you're watching on the other side of the screen, I want to encourage you to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me, that you've never left me. And God, I ask you to come into my life, be Lord of my life, my Savior and my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin a new life with you in Jesus' name, amen.